Welcome to the Be Disciple podcast with your host Kyle Morse and Dakota Smith. This is episode number 70. We're continuing our study in the book of Acts. We will be in chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. How's it going, Dakota? It's good, man. We've been traveling the world, haven't we? Yeah, we've been really busy. Uh, I are, one of our priorities is this podcast, uh, but when we're gone, that's a little hard to do. Uh, but we've been in Mexico. Uh, we went down there to equip pastors in studying God's Word and preaching. And then we then we went to Wichita to go to a Simeon Trust workshop to do the same thing, for us to learn and continue to be equipped in reading God's Word and preaching. And so it's been just a great time. So what was your what was your favorite moment from that trip in Mexico? I really just liked the hearts of the pastors that were there. I don't know, they were willing and open to learn and grow. They were hungry. Yeah, and so that that made it easy. Because it once you got in your groups and you were facilitating your groups on uh, these passages and they were giving their presentations on their passages and we were studying, we were in Second Timothy and uh, they were really willing to listen and to grow and to, I just, maybe they don't have that conversation like you and I do all the time. A lot of these pastors are one pastor at their churches and I don't know how often they get to talk to other pastors. So maybe it was just a great experience from that perspective, but they were willing to uh, listen, be humble, learn, and it was a great time. It seemed like we had 50 or so pastors and lay leaders at this workshop. There were even some women there, you know, who are a, a part of the I-68 ministry, the organization that we worked with. And, you know, I mean, just the eagerness. I mean, that was probably my favorite thing, too, sitting at all the tables, working on one another's passages, seeing the pastors present their passages to us, and then for all of our guys who we've been investing in for the last year with teaching and preaching prep, to see them then facilitate their table was just a real, for me, it was a real blessing and reward to watch because you put so much time into creating more leaders to advance the kingdom of God. So then when you get to sit back and watch your own guys and how much they've grown in the last year, I mean, for me, that that was worth it. That was worth the price of the ticket, so to speak. And then um, coming all the way from Mexico to the Simeon Workshop, if you want to really grow, by the way, we're going to give a plug here, a shameless plug. Go to simeontrust.org, and there's a ton of online content that you can access there, how to interpret the scriptures based on the genre you're reading, um, how to become a better teacher with the Word of God. Simeon Trust does an excellent job. So we were just down there in Wichita for a Simeon Trust workshop. They travel all over the world. But it was interesting that the workshop we did in Mexico, we covered 2 Timothy. We did verse by verse with the pastors. And here, we did 1 Timothy. So we kind of went backwards in really every every step of the way. But just the camaraderie with the guys, everybody who, pretty much, almost everybody who is our table facilitators in Mexico also came to the workshop with us. So I think what it's saying is that we as a church are trying to train and equip people with the Word of God to then teach others also. That's been rewarding as a pastor. Yeah, it's always good to um, be able to sit around other pastors and to listen and learn, present uh, a passage like at Simeon Trust, and to uh, for them to just kind of rip you apart in a nice way, right? Feels good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's good to just have the conversation. I think Dakota and I have conversations like that on a regular basis, which is really good for us, uh, healthy 
uh, being able to just go through a passage and really help each other work through that passage. And that's what the Simeon Trust is. But you get pastors from all around who are invested in the same thing, uh, whether they're brand new to the process or they've been doing it for decades. You're all sitting in a room being able to help each other out and grow. And I think that's a cool thing. You have these guys who've been doing it for decades and they come back and say, I still need to learn. And so you don't get intimidated by the guy who's been doing it forever because they're like, I'm still learning. That's right. This isn't a thing where you conquer it and you're the per- you're perfect at it and all of a sudden you don't need it anymore. It's a lifelong practice. It's not something you just do one time. Something that I think is important for our listeners to hear, maybe you're listening to this episode and you are a part of our church. Maybe you're listening to this episode and you're from somewhere within Ottawa. You know, we just want to communicate really our plan and our goal here at the church, and it's really very simple. The Great Commission requires education and sending. And one thing that we are really placing an emphasis on here at this church is how to read our Bibles. It's actually a very sad thing that the preaching of the Word of God, we're going to, in Acts chapter 3, we're going to get into preaching here in a moment. But the preaching of the Word of God in the pulpits in America has become so shallow and, dare I say, even completely neglected. Uh, forgotten is maybe too light of a term, but what's happened to our pulpits in America is that, you know, we, we use Scripture as an ornament to what the pastor wants to say, or the pastor gets into the pulpit for 15 minutes, says a couple of things that are, you know, really a scriptural reading, which is fine, but then there's no exhortation. There's no delivering to the people. It's it's almost like a predetermined sermon ahead of time. And that doesn't feed people's hearts and people's souls. And you're also not teaching people how to read the Bible for themselves. And if your people can't read the Bible for themselves, then how can they grow in sanctification? Like it's just a simple A plus B equals C, right? The The formula is if I preach the Word of God, if I exposit the Word of God, and if I have other educational avenues within my church, my church people will start growing spiritually because it's the Word of God doing it to them. But when we make the pulpit shallow and watered down, we won't see any transformation. Now we're just another you know, community group or another organization, but we, we cease to have the effect on our ministry that only the Word of God can bring. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in Ottawa Bible, uh, we're going to be doing three Bible teaching workshops here at the church uh, in the year of 2023, uh, one really every quarter, and we're going to be seeking to train people in every genre of Scripture. That's going to be an exciting time. Yeah, it's going to be able to good to just sit down with our church family and anybody really who wants to come and learn about God's Word and be, become equipped, because this is what we're supposed to know. I remember as a kid, yeah. <laughs> you know, people people saying things, comments like, Christians don't even know their own Bibles. Christians don't even know what they believe. And there's some truth to that, where people just, they say they're Christian, or they go to a church, but they really don't know what they believe. Yeah. The only way to know what you believe <laughs> is to read the Bible. Yep. If you believe in what Jesus has done, you got to read the rest of the Bible. Right. Because it's either, you know, along the line of of the gospel from the beginning of time where Jesus has always been all the way to his second return. We got to know it all. Um and we need to follow God's word. And so reading God's word is so important and understanding how to read it is is extremely valuable. So join us in the future. Continue to listen into our podcast cuz that's what we're doing. Yeah, three 
three doctrinal beliefs that one should have if they're really a Christian. Number one, they have to believe that the Word of God is truly that, that it hasn't been changed over time. I mean, the evidence points to the fact that it's been preserved. But when churches neglect the Bible or they think it's been saved or really they, they buy into liberal theology, you're neglecting the Scriptures. So one, you have to believe in the Scriptures. Two, you have to believe in salvation by grace through faith. Well, how do you know that? You get it from the Scriptures. Three, you have to believe in the unique uh, three persons, one being the Godhead, the Trinity. What you do with the Scriptures and salvation and the Trinity really defines your theology. And if you don't get all three, if you're missing one of those, then you're really screwed up. You've got to get all three. I'm sorry, but that's how, just how it is. You're not a Christian if you don't accept all three. End of story. You've got to get all three down. So that's one of the reasons why we teach and we preach these things here at Ottawa Bible is because we want people to know what's truly Christian. Yeah, definitely. We want people to know what they believe. Yeah. Right? It's one thing to say, um, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Okay, well, you know, there's a lot of beings yep. out there that believe that Jesus did that. Yep. Some of them are demons. Sure. It doesn't mean they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. It, you know, it doesn't mean all those things. So to know something happened is one thing, mm-hmm. but to believe it and follow it, follow God's word is, is something different. Um, so just to have knowledge doesn't save you, but to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ and who God is through his word, that's, that's, that's salvation. So that's a good segue into our text, Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. Last episode, we dealt with Peter and, what was it, John? Yeah, Peter and John, they come into the temple, and there's a man who's sitting outside the temple. He's been lame, and everyone knows him as lame. Um, He's begging for alms and money, and Peter says, I don't have that, but I do have Jesus to give to you. So they heal him in the name of Jesus. He gets up. He starts praising God. He, He starts leaping up in the air. Everybody's watching him. The crowd is seeing him. Now we get to Peter's second sermon, verses 11 through 26. So Kyle, why don't you pray? And then I I suppose we can break up today's passage into two different divisions, and we'll work from there. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together. I just pray for our listeners uh, as they um, go through God's Word with us, that they are equipped and feel confident in discussing your Word, Lord, and that they grow and learn in what it says that this isn't uh, reading God's word isn't just about um, a religion of practice of just doing it to do it because it makes us feel better. But we are truly learning what God has to say in order to go and transform lives by preaching the gospel. And Lord, just uh, equip us as we continue to learn and grow in studying God's word and our listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 11. While he was clinging to Peter and John, the man who was healed, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico or the colonnade of Solomon, full of amazement. The focus is going to go from the man who was healed to the crowd who is now viewing his healing. Verse 12, but when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety or religiosity, we had made him walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. 
but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verses 11 through 16. Pastor Kyle, let's pick it up. Yeah, we see this man who just got healed, who's like super excited. You know, when, you, uh, when you're when you with your friends and your favorite football team scores a winning touchdown and you just jump around and you're like clinging to each other, uh, giving each other chest bumps, you're just having a good old time. I can imagine this guy, right? He says, well, he clung to Peter and John. This guy was like, I'm not leaving these guys. Right. <laughs> these guys are my buddies now. That's it. We're <laughs> right? best friends. We're best friends. I just got healed. Yeah. So I just see this excitement taking place. Uh, in verse 11. And then people are like looking around like, what? Is that the guy who couldn't walk? What's happening? Why Why is he with those guys over there? Uh, so in verse 12, Peter sees the people looking in their direction, right? He notices they're paying attention. And who does he address? The men of Israel. I mean, we know we're in Jerusalem. There's your audience. Right? We know we're, we're who we're talking to. But his audience specifically, as he's speaking, says, Men of Israel, why are you wondering at this? Why do you stare at us as if we did this? Right? Uh, Peter's going straight to the heart, straight to the point, uh, the gospel focus here, and he's getting to the men's heart and saying, you are looking at the wrong thing. You see a healed man, but what has really happened is salvation in Jesus Christ. So he's going to he's going to bring this out in the discussion that he's having. What else do you see, Dakota? Well, it's interesting earlier in the discussion, first of all, verse 2 tells us that this man has been lame from his mother's womb, and then he's begging alms and he's asking for money. And look at what Peter has to say. This is just the pretext, verse 6. Peter said, "I do not possess silver and gold." So the man hears with his own ears Okay, he doesn't have what I'm looking for. But then Peter says, But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. I think the insinuation is that the power of Jesus came and healed this man, but something with this man likely took place inwardly as well. There was an internal healing in it. And I would appeal to that because... um, Peter goes on to speak about faith, I think, twice in this passage alone. Verse 16, on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of all. So maybe Peter's referring to himself, but I, I think there's an aspect of faith in the man who was who was healed. Well, I think it brings to light the work of Jesus Christ that brings faith, right? Yeah. Um, this lame beggar, I mean, he he didn't have much faith in anything, right? Yeah, what's he going to do? What was he going to do? He was just like, I'm going to hang out in front of the temple for the religious people and hope that they, you know. What a place to receive money. Yeah. All these religious dudes hypocritically coming and giving money for and showboating. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure, if you want to showboat, I'll, I'll, I'll be your guinea pig. Yeah. So <laughs> He's done that his whole life. Yeah, so he's sitting there going, this is probably the best place for this uh, to make a little bit of money so I can survive. Um, but Peter and John see something, they they see a different need, as Jesus always saw the real need, right? The paralyzed man being lowered in, 
you, I've the forgiveness of sins is what he addresses before he heals the man. Yeah. So Peter and John see, hey, I have something else I give you. That's Jesus. And through the work of Jesus Christ, he can give you faith. And he does. In faith, through the work of Jesus Christ, you can be saved. And so they get right to the point and right to the hearts of all the people listening. Something that I think is really intriguing, too, that we we as the reader can never forget. Look at verse 12. Peter is specifically speaking to the nation of Israel. This is after the nation of Israel has, uh, verse 14, disowned the holy and righteous one, asked for a murder instead. Look at the play on words, verse 15, but put to death the prince of life. The prince of life, you put to death. That's, That's an interesting play on words. And then it goes on to say, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Then he goes on and he speaks about faith. He says, all of this has happened in the presence of you all. It's almost like even before Peter goes about preaching, well, rather Paul goes about preaching to all the Gentiles, the message of the gospel is still for nationalistic Israel themselves, you know, to to accept the Messiah that has been given to them. I mean, goodness sakes, yes, they rejected him by crucifying him, but even here, they're being given yet another chance, I assume publicly, in a public place, to receive Jesus as Savior and Messiah again. It's never too late, I, I suppose, if you're still breathing. Yeah, but what a, what a claim by Peter, right here. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over. Yeah, you did that. Peter isn't, this isn't a message of like, hey guys, we really need to just discuss the love of Jesus Christ. Right. No, no Peter says, you, you murdered the Messiah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. You, men of Israel. Yeah, you're guilty. You're guilty. Yeah. And you need to repent. Yeah. So this wasn't an easy message, but it's the truth. It is. The truth we, will set you free. We always talk about, we need to be loving as Christians. We need to be loving in truth. Not loving in what doesn't hurt people's feelings. The reality is they need to know that they're sinners. Yeah. And that feeling of the need for repentance, the, the the guilt that's there that comes with that, we don't need to ignore that. We need to say, no, I have that guilt because I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. So when we love people as Christians in truth, what we're doing is saying, I want you to know Jesus because Jesus saves, and you will be in eternity for knowing Him. It's not us saying, look at you, you sinner, uh, you're no good, or you're worthless. No, we're not saying that. We're actually saying you're worth more than anything in the world because God loves you. That's right. And He sent His Son. So I think when we talk about the love of Jesus, this is the love of Jesus. And that's what Peter's pointing out to the men of Israel. Jesus loves you, and God does. And you need to recognize what you've done. And so that's a really important part in Peter's message. It is the message of the gospel. I think so often we see repentance as a negative thing. You need to repent, right? And just the tone alone can mess with the theology of the message. There are times to rebuke and to say, you need to repent, right? Yeah. Definitely, there's, there's times with wicked men you do that. But that's not the only tone to use. There's also the tone to say, you need to repent and to get right. And to be very serious, repentance is something that sets an individual free. Repentance, metanoia, is the changing of the mind. When I change my mind, I can believe with my heart. I I actually think the two are synonymous. 
the type of repentance that changes my mind. I was wrong with what I did. I want to place my faith in Christ. I think that's a synonymous event. Yeah, and I think we have an example in Scripture, the book of Jonah, where Jonah understood the most loving thing that God can do is to call people to repentance. That's right, and he didn't want to go do it. And he didn't want to go do it because he didn't like those people. Right. But he knew that was the most loving thing to do. He wasn't scared in the sense of they're going to kill me or whatever. I think he was just didn't want them to be saved, which was a total heart issue, which we have the book of Jonah. So we know Jonah repented and, and, and told his story. But at the end of Jonah, he actually says, I knew that you were a God of mercy. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think we see that we see the perspective of Jonah going, God loves all people. And I have a hard time with that. And I know the message is to tell them to turn from their wicked ways, and God will have mercy on them. Yeah, man, that's that's a that's a tough. Like Jonah really struggled with that, and I think we struggle with that. We look at people and we have partiality, and we we, do. we do, and we judge prior to even sharing the gospel with them, and that's not okay. And then we all fall in that category. Absolutely, Peter here. At least in this instance, we know Peter's troubles, we know his denials, we know what he's done in the past, but Peter was faithful to the truth. Peter's a month and a half removed, month and a half to two months removed from denying Jesus three times. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so look what happens in verse 17. He carries on his sermon. I think good expository preaching appeals to the scriptures as a whole. I think Peter's already been doing that, especially when he mentions the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, verse 13. What he's, what he's saying is that this this God that we worship is the one who did this. But verse 17, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. Like, you really didn't get it. By the way, we as disciples, we didn't get it all either. Right. <laughs> That's why we ran. Yeah. So verse 18, but, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, like Isaiah chapter 53, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. Now he's talking about sending Jesus a second time. Verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. We could probably stop and pause there, 17 to 21. It looks like we'll have three divisions in this passage. But now Peter is telling them, really, hey, this is why you need to change, because a, a time is coming where Jesus will return. Isn't it amazing that prior to this, right, before the Holy Spirit came, they did not make this connect. Peter and John were not making the connection to the prophets. But when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he met with them and gave them the Holy Spirit and gave them the Great Commission, he gave them exactly what they needed to know. He made the connection and they went, Duh. Yeah, it was right there in <laughs> it was front right of us there in front the, whole the whole time. And so Peter's taking this fresh connection that Jesus has just given him, and he's telling the people about it. Listen, listen to the prophets. The prophets didn't only just tell us about Jesus, but they also told us about what is going to come still. Right. 
and there is a need for repentance. Verse 19 in the ESV, it says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. There is a path of salvation here. You men of Israel, you have turned your back on what scripture has said. You have not listened to the prophets. You have not listened to those of great faith that you have put on a high pedestal of the past. You're not even listening to the words that they're saying because they told you about Jesus and you need to turn and repent for what you have done. And so he's really making the string of connection from, I mean, I think the only thing missing out of this passage in here is creation, but he's pretty much saying from the beginning and now all the way to Jesus's second coming, this has been here right in front of your faces. And now that Jesus has come, you you need to repent. He he is lightly insinuating the creation too, because the very next next verse, verse twenty two, Moses said, "Well, Moses wrote Genesis. Yeah. Moses was a prophet. Moses prophesies about one who's just like him to come." So you know, when I'm looking at this passage, one thing, one reason why I am what you would call a dispensationalist. If you're wondering what that term means, you can go to a really good website called gotquestions.org. What is the difference between dispensationalism and covenantalism or covenant theology? Covenant theology would say that there has always just been one people of God for all time, one church from the Old Testament onward, that there's no distinction between the nation of Israel, Gentile believers, things of that nature. I'm in disagreement with that. I think that God's covenant people from the Old Testament were the nation was the nation of Israel. I also think that the church is different. The church is anybody who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And because I view the church and Israel as two different distinct entities, both that will be in heaven, I believe in a literal thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. If you're not a dispensationalist, then you likely view the millennial reign from Revelation 20 as metaphorical. No, I think Jesus is going to return to the earth for a literal thousand years and fulfill Jewish prophecy about his second coming. And as Messiah, as King Messiah, he will actually reign on David's throne in Israel. And we call that, we call that the times of refreshing or the period of restoration of all things. We see that immediately in verses 19, 20, and 21. Peter is saying, put your faith in him now because when he returns, he's going to set up a millennial kingdom and he will reign over the nation of Israel specifically for a literal thousand years. I think the context of this passage is vitally important to dispensationalist belief. Peter is preaching to the nation of Israel. He is not preaching to the church. The church will be a part of the millennium But the millennium is all about Jesus fulfilling prophecy for the nation of Israel. And that's why there's so much persecution with Israel during the seven-year tribulation beforehand. So putting all the pieces together, Kyle, we are are really dealing with a pivotal passage for our theology here at Ottawa Bible Church. Yeah, I think it's important, especially in the book of Acts, we've got post the Holy Spirit. I think that's really important here. Yes. Uh, Where we know we're at in the timeline of humanity. 
And so we know that the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit is giving Peter these words. These words are inspired. These are God's words that are being given to us. And so it's really important that we know these things as we look at our biblical context, when we study like the book of Revelation, when we look at Daniel, when we look at Isaiah, when we look at the prophets. I mean, we really have to know the whole span of Scripture to understand our view on the end times. So Peter is preaching this sermon to the men of Israel. He tells them essentially the gospel. He tells them of Jesus's return, and he continues, and we close our passage for the day in verses 22 to 26. Moses said, he's continuing in his sermon, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you, and it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. This is a warning. Don't be destroyed from among the people, you Israelites. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the Abrahamic covenant. Verse 26, for you first... You Israelites, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. This Messiah is for you first, Israel. Yeah, I think it's obvious, <laughs> as obvious as it gets. Man. Oh, man. I I mean, when you look at this from a Israel church perspective, a, a dispensational view, you see a clear separation between the two. There is Israel in which Peter is dealing with right here. Yes. Um, and there will be a time that we'll hear about the dealings of the Gentiles in the book of Acts, because there will be the spread of the church, the missions. We will get to Paul and or Paul's conversion and all that kind of stuff. But right now, Peter and John are dealing with Israelites, the nation of Israel. And I love how he just puts it out. I mean, he's talking about the prophets um, from Samuel onward, who proclaimed these days, the days that Jesus would come, the Messiah, all the way to the end times and his second coming. I like 25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, really separating Israel. God made promises to you, Israel, and through his promises came his son, Jesus, mm -hmm. through you, why Why have you missed this, yeah. Israel? Why have you become blind to what God is doing and what he has already foretold? So I think there's a clear distinction between God is dealing right here with the people of Israel, not necessarily the church, right? Or the church, even though we're in the church age um, during this time, but he's really dealing with his own people who he's made promises in the past to. I think Paul wrestled with the question of why Israel continues to harden their hearts. Paul is the one in the book of Romans who says a partial hardening has come upon them. Let me read you this passage to close. Romans chapter 9 verses 1 through 5. Paul says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I wish, for I could wish that I myself were accursed 
separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, over, or who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. And then Paul goes into this big discourse all the way to chapter 11 that says, well, a partial hardening has come upon the nation, but one day all Israel will be saved. Meaning, I think all Israel who will be there to witness the, the second coming of Christ. But nevertheless, Paul, and if you think of who every single apostle was, every single apostle was Jewish. It had to break their heart that here the Messiah has now come to grant freedom. All, all the nation had to do was repent. And really, God made for himself a people that were not originally his people. He went to, as Isaiah says, he went to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles received Jesus by faith. This today is still just a a stunning belief. God's very own people rejected him, but those that you would never think would accept him are the ones who have up until now. The gospel is transformative, but God will not allow Israel um, uh, to, to skirt by just because of their religiosity. They're going to need Christ, too. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Be Disciples podcast. Please share this podcast uh, with your friends, family, whoever, uh, as we just talk about God's Word. Uh, We want to become more equipped. We want to have these conversations because we know that it blesses our lives and those that we're pouring into. And so go and be a disciple. Uh, That's what we're called to do. Thank you again. Have a blessed week. And uh, we will be back to start Acts chapter 4. God bless.